Hey there, Doug Branson, host of Locked On Hornets, and I have a very special announcement before we get into today's show. Locked On Hornets now has a sister podcast, Locked On Panthers, covering your Carolina Panthers with local legend and host, Steve Reed. Go to audioboom.com right now, search Locked On Panthers, and get caught up on all of your Carolina Panthers news and analysis as they prepare for an epic 2016-2017 season. We're excited about this podcast. You should be too, and it will be on iTunes very soon. In the meantime, again, go to audioboom.com, search Locked On Panthers, and listen to their premiere episode. All right, let's talk about the Hornets. Let's talk about hoops and stuff. You are Locked On, Locked On, Locked On Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome in, Hornets fans. We are back. This is Locked On Hornets on this Wednesday, presented by Hive Talk Live here, live in the, or at least when we recorded it, we were live in the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man who drunkenly convinced Kevin Durant to get matching Rick James tattoos. David, where's your Rick James tattoo? Now that's uh, not something I'm about to talk about right now, Doug, but that is 100% true. One does not tattoo and tell. That's right. Unless you're Kevin Durant, I guess, and we're going to find out all of the new tattoos. Well, and I just got to. where they are. <laughs> he's going to reveal one each week of the season. It's, it's called Ooh. Hype People, and he's doing it right. Um, I got a tattoo of the Locked On Podcast Network logo because that's how proud we are to be part of this fantastic network of uh, local and national podcasts. Listen to the latest from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, where you'll you'll hear us. You'll hear well, you'll hear me, and and I'm channeling yeah. <laughs> I'm channeling David, and and using That's the right. information that he's given me. Uh, but host Josh Lloyd, he dives deep into his team previews uh, for the rest. I I don't know how long it's going to last, but he's doing all thirty teams. It's a great way to get caught up on everyone's off season and get some tips for your fantasy team. You're going to hear a portion of our interview later in this show, so look forward to that. If you have a question, a comment, or you're interested in sponsoring this show, email us at buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. And if you get a tattoo of our logo, make sure, yeah, tweet us a picture of that unless it's in an area where we would not want to see. All right. Or our face. If you if you tattoo my face anywhere, <laughs> that, that would... I yeah, I, well, I'll that. condone people tattooing your face, David, not mine. I I, <laughs> I don't have a face made for tattooing. Uh, no, I don't have enough defining features. I your your hair and and um you know your face I think would make a great tattoo. That's all I'll <laughs> say on that. Listen, I uh, my mind is not running at, at peak uh, efficiency right now, and neither is my body because producer Katie and I took a dance class last night uh you know we we rarely delve into to our personal Whoa. lives we we, we stick to hornets but I, I just have to say i am i am incredibly sore uh, i i am um i'm barely here i'm barely upright at this point i'm, I'm amazed that i got out of bed david uh first of all this talk about bearing the lead uh this is news to me this is breaking news uh for everyone listening including myself this is uh we're gonna need a bit more of a breakdown maybe we won't do it today but ballroom uh, this was okay. Here's the thing. 
So I, there aren't a ton of dance studios in, in Charlotte and dance is, I've always liked to dance. Um, it's uh, because I find working out in a gym or running, it's just very boring. I need mental stimulation. I need challenges Mm -hmm. and I can't, I, I can't motivate myself in a, in a gym very well. And so I found that dance classes throughout the years have been a great way to get a, a decent workout. Um, but coming to Charlotte, there, there are, are not a ton of opportunities out there. And so I just dove in and I, I found a, a jazz, a beginning jazz class. And yeah. it was the first opportunity I could find for producer Katie and I to, to try it out. And I, if, if I could give you a mental picture, I would say it was a, a lot like, you remember the, the episode in Friends where Rachel and Phoebe take a dance class? That's it was a lot of body movement and flailing, not a lot of rhythm, not a lot of um, not a lot of real what you would you know call dancing happening. But I did get a great workout. I was thinking more along the episode when they go running together and Phoebe just flails her arms everywhere. That was yeah, that that was well you know and and this was beginning. So the class was was called beginning jazz. But it was definitely, it wasn't a thing where they, they taught you anything. You sort of, it was like going into college when you went into Spanish one, it was like Spanish one and you go in there and they're like, okay, we're only going to speak Spanish. You're like, wait a minute, this is beginning Spanish. I need to begin (laughs) with some English before I get into, I need to transition into the Spanish. I needed to transition into the jazz. I didn't learn any, I really... It was tough. That's all I'll say. So, so no discussion of Quinn Snyder's up tempo offense either. And <laughs> yeah, not a lot of sports talk in the jazz okay. class, um, but that's okay. It was fun. It was a good workout. Listen, you got to keep your if you're going to do this radio thing every day like we're going to do. You got to keep your body in shape. This is this is this is physically demanding. This this Hornets podcasting. Um. Yeah. Nobody believes me. That's no right. one out there listening is, but they're like, what are you talking? You're sitting there in front of a microphone. You fool. Uh, well, listen, we have a, uh, we do have some Hornets news. It's not, uh, it, it's not on the court, but it has to do with a basketball court. This was reported by Catherine Peralta of the Charlotte Observer, the Hornets and the NBA and the city of Charlotte getting together to renovate a few basketball courts in three parks throughout the Charlotte area. The first park to get a basketball court renovation is Latta Park. And when we say renovation, it's getting the full like Hornets purple and teal treatment. These things are, are going to bear the, the Hornets logos. They're going to get new basketball goals, new pads, new looks like new benches. I'm looking at the mock-up right now for Latta Park, and that's in, that's in Dilworth. So that's in sort of southwest Charlotte. That's going mm-hmm. to be the first that gets it, and it looks like, yeah, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and Michael Jordan will be getting together October 18th at Latta Park for the dedication of the the first uh, Hornets-themed court. The other two parks, David, Camp Green, which is in northwest Charlotte, and Tuckaseegee Park, which is in west Charlotte. So two places that uh, can definitely use uh, both of those renovations and and Latta Park as well. Those those courts were were getting a little run down, so it's nice to see them getting it. But I think uh, David, this is important because Adam Silver. You know, after everything that happened with yeah. the All Star Game, Adam Silver showing the commitment to Charlotte. There were a lot of questions, David, after that whole All Star Game debacle, uh, or or during that whole All Star Game debacle of how committed is the NBA to keeping a team in Charlotte. 
in a city mm-hmm. or in a state rather where this controversy was happening. And, and this is a good move, I think, to say, hey, you know, Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets, very important to the NBA. Yeah, first of all, I love, love, love to see this just from the team and the league, of course, in combination. But getting out there in the community, in some of these courts and areas that need to be redone. I mean, if you drive around Charlotte, you'll see some nice courts. But in like any other city, you'll see some that need to have some TLC applied to them. And I think this is awesome for the team, for the organization, and uh, for the league to be involved as well. I mean, if you had uh, Michael Jordan and Adam Silver at this court dedication, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And from a fan's point of view, you mentioned it, Doug, that to, just to see stuff like this keep going on. And, you know, do you think this was as a result, you know, of all the, all the all-star stuff? I mean, certainly I'm sure the Hornets wanted to do this, but I wonder if the NBA is a little more willing to, you know, show up and do this kind of stuff. I'm sure they are from a cynical point of view, right? Well, I'll say this. I, I think the Hornets through the Charlotte Hornets Foundation and through other uh, other things have been uh, very active in the community and, and doing mm-hmm. things that benefit the community, but it's it's been behind the scenes. You know, we hear about it. We yeah. see the players out there doing things, and we see the team. We see Hugo going to school to school. Michael know, doing, Jordan's out there. Michael Jordan too. out there as well. But this is different because you see the purple and teal. You see the branding. Yeah. You see, I mean, it's going to literally put the imprint of the Charlotte Hornets in the city of Charlotte. And so that's where I think that's the effect of what happened. And that's where you you have Fred Whitfield telling the observer, quote, it's another way the NBA wanted to reassure our city, our county, our fans, and our community that they are a huge part of our community and enjoy being that the uh, I just wanted to make clear what was getting renovated. So each park I think is getting four new basketball goals and goal pads, eight new benches, new water fountains, new waste receptacles, all in the team's purple and teal colors. And David, that's important, right? Because we see the the Panthers have really stitched their branding. They've stitched their the the team uh, logos and everything into the community in different places. And I think it's important for the Hornets to do that now and they're entering their third season yeah absolutely it's continuing rebranding bringing about the charlotte hornets name and whatever the reason again i get back to this it's a great thing to do uh in the community and in the city and i think um you know from a fan's point of view that is important as well you see the commitment to the league because it it doesn't take much for for that note to get out there or that thought to get out there that hey you know uh, move the team out of Charlotte. You know, you have a down season, move the team out of Charlotte. You have yeah. this all-star fiasco, move the team out of Charlotte. So um, it's good to see the commitment from the team and the league saying, hey, we're here to we're here to stay. We, we, we like this community, we like this team, and we're committed to making it work. Absolutely. And I especially like this measure because, A, it contributes to pick up basketball, which both you and I are mm-hmm. big fans of, but B, it helps contribute to the Mecklenburg Parks, which the dirty little yeah. secret about Mecklenburg County Parks is that they are not good relative to the rest of the nation when it comes to big cities. So anything that any organization can do to help benefit uh, our parks here in Charlotte and the surrounding area, I think just from a community perspective, is a very good thing. And this effect, and I like that they did one in Latta Park, which is South Charlotte, which is more of a well-to-do area and yeah. they're, they're doing yeah. two in, in West and Northwest Charlotte, which are less well-to-do areas. So you like to see that, you don't, you don't like to see it uh, land on 
uh, just just the areas that that uh, that are well to do. So uh, I like that aspect of it too. I think all around it, it's a great uh, PR move for the Hornets, great PR move for the NBA, and and it contributes to the community. So thumbs up to everyone involved. Okay, so as we said at the top of the show, we did a great interview with Josh Lloyd. Really, we we didn't do the interview; he did the interview. It was it was a great time that we had on the Locked On. I definitely didn't do it. <laughs> We got some issues, but you well, filled in there, was, there, there were some tech issues. Um, your absence was brought to you by Skype, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a good time. It was a deep dive into the Charlotte Hornets, and there are some fantasy tips sprinkled throughout. So if you're like me and you blindly go out there and try to select as many Charlotte Hornets as possible during a draft, then you'll definitely want to check this out. We've got part one coming up today. And then tomorrow we'll feature part two. So enjoy. Again, this is from the uh, Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast with Josh Lloyd. Definitely subscribe to this if you haven't already. We'll be back after this. The uh, the Hornets. The uh, surprising team last year, maybe not to you, but to others who, who saw them out of the playoffs the previous season, jumped back up and found themselves tied for the third seed. Uh, an encouraging playoffs, but also a, a disappointing Playoffs, I guess, with um, with them going out in that game seven after having a lead. But I think signs of progress were there. An interesting offseason, lots of changes happening. And people are going to want to understand what these changes mean for the existing players, what they mean for the new players. So we're going to break all that down today. The first question, I think, and this is what we're doing uh, through all these team preview podcasts and over at Basketball Monster, which the site has opened today for subscription. So you guys uh, that want your Basketball Monster memberships, head across to the site now. For each team, we're asking three questions. We did it as a – I was calling it a 30 questions series, but then the three of us, myself, Kyle and Matt, all asked one question per team. And then I'm getting those three questions and turning them onto my uh, expert guest host for the team. So the three questions we've got for the Hornets, Doug. The first one is a player who played just seven games last season, and that is Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Where does he fit into with this rotation and with this team this year? Well, I think he fits in perfectly because the one thing that the Hornets have plenty of are skill players, and the one thing they need more of are pure athletes, and that's Michael Kidd-Gilchrist to a T. He's a pure athlete. He can get out into transition. He can help uh, with uh, defensive rebounding. And also, he's one of the few players that has the go-ahead, the green light, from head coach Steve Clifford to offensive rebound. And, and I think that you know this is a team that isn't very focused on offensive rebounding, but when you have a guy like Michael Kidd Gilchrist who can slash out of nowhere into the lane to get an offensive rebound, he just adds a certain something and you saw it briefly in the seven games he was able to play in last uh, last season. He was able to add, well, just, just apart from the statistics where it was 12.6 rebounds, he's able to add this element of getting to loose balls, of helping the defense all around. So I think he fits perfectly right back into the starting lineup, and it allows Nick Batum to play the position that he would like to play, which is shooting guard. So it, it's a perfect uh, refit back into the Hornets lineup for Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yeah, it's people talk about them losing Courtney Lee, but I don't think it really affects them too much. Obviously, there's they're different players. Um, Lee's a, a good perimeter defender. He's not the same level perimeter defender that what Kid Gilchrist is. The shooting might be a concern, but we saw, and I know it's the seven game sample size, but we saw 
Kid Gilchrist hit over 40% of his threes last year, but I'm not really concerned about that. What I am, am looking at when I look at Kid Gilchrist and his performance last season is that the previous season, 2014-15, he attempted a grand total of zero threes. In the seven games that he played last year, he attempted 10. So I don't care that 40% of them went in or 46% of them went in. That's that's not my concern. The fact that he had the confidence to take 10 shots in seven games, whereas the previous season he took zero in 60-plus games, that to me is the key, that he's actually added this to his game and he feels confident in doing it. And even if he hits 35% of them and takes one and a half a game, it, it's a big difference to what he provided previously. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you on on those points. I think it's all about confidence. He worked a ton two off-seasons ago with uh, shooting coach Bruce Kretzer on developing that three-point shot. And if he can be a threat from the corner three, then it adds a weapon for Charlotte, but it also adds the ability for Steve Clifford to go four out, one in, which is what he has said he wants to do or has wanted to do all along. Got to do that a lot last season, and, and he hopes to continue that, I'm sure, this next season. But yeah, I, I, I think MKG, his confidence rarely shaken. And even after these two shoulder injuries, you know, he says he's not going to change the way he plays the game. And I think that's a mark of a man who is confident in his abilities and, and confident in his game. We took, People talk about him having a broken jumper and all that sort of stuff, but to me, what and I say this all the time about him, he takes the shots that he knows he can hit, so he does it efficiently. So he shot 54% last year, 47 the year before, 47 the year before, 46 the year before that. And as a guy playing the three, that's a pretty decent conversion. Now, it's on a low amount of attempts. I understand that, but if he's then adding the threat of a three-point shot and still converts at a, at a relatively and above average rate, that's that's solid enough for me. I don't care the, how broken it might have been in the past. If you're hitting it at an above average percentage and hitting the shots you know you can make and adding a threat, the three-point shooting, he fits uh, a lot better into this modern NBA than what some might uh, anticipate. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the quote from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's head coach, Roy Williams. Sometimes it's just about putting the ball in the darn hoop. And if Michael Kidd Gilchrist can do that, I don't care where the elbow is, the off elbow, I don't care. If the ball goes in the hoop, Hornets fans will be happy. Yeah, exactly. It's just, If it goes in, it, it goes in. That's, that's the main point. Now, he's been um, lauded for his defensive abilities, but it's never really translated into statistics in terms of steals and blocks. He's still an above-average guy there, but do you see any way that he can you know, bring those things up? A lot of young players who have um, who are – high defensive pedigrees and play well defensively, the actual defensive stats take a while to come through? Or is the way he plays defense just not that sort of a player? I think it's the way that the Hornets play defense. It has never been an aggressive defense. It's been about keeping players away from the rim and everyone working together with everyone else to ensure that that happens. So they don't they don't aggressively jump into passing lanes because they don't want to give up. If they're unsuccessful in, in jumping that passing lane, they don't want to give up the the result of that. So I think it's more of a reflection of how of him buying into the defensive scheme that Steve Clifford has set up in Charlotte. But I think you're right. You know, if if Michael Kidd Gilchrist wants to get into those defensive player of the year type of conversations, it's really, really difficult to do that when when you're not putting up a, a block or a steal a game. So I, I agree with you there. 
He's heading into his uh, fifth season now, fourth if you don't include last year's you know, small cameo. He should be fully healthy, which we don't have any reason to believe that he, that he won't be. I think that he's in a fantasy draft in the last round or so. I really think it's a, it's a pretty decent guy to have a look at. You're going to get above average rebounding from his position, above average field goal percentage, the, the ability maybe to increase those defensive stats, um, You know, some okay scoring at okay efficiency. He's not... Uh, a superb option at, at this point, but I think that he's got a real chance to, to take a step forward. So he's a guy that I'm, I'm really interested to see how he fits back in. Now, Kemba Walker last season, Doug, he had a career year. Can he improve on that? Well, it's, I think he certainly can improve on it from the aspect of passing. I think he can still get others involved a little bit more than he has. I think that's the one area you, you look at. Um, but I mean, in terms of shooting, uh, you you can't do uh, much to improve uh, on what he did last season. Uh, he was a monster from outside the arc, and a lot of that had to do with Nick Batum, both in in what Nick Batum uh, pulls away in terms of his gravity on the court and the attention that he draws, but also uh, Nick Batum's ability to distribute to Kemba Walker. So I think it'll be difficult in terms of the offensive statistics but hopefully he can improve his passing ability. And a lot of that's going to depend on uh, can uh, Nick Batum continue to shoot the three ball well and some of these weapons that they've added in Ramon Sessions and Marco Bellinelli, you know, once he starts to play with those guys in the uh, middle of the second quarter, middle of the third quarter type of units, can those guys hit uh, shots? And I think a lot of that will, will determine whether Kimball Walker can bring up those assist numbers. He's a he's a pretty aggressive rebounder as a point guard, averaged almost four and a half a game. But you're right, the assists are just a tick over five. If he can get those to six, six and a half, then his fantasy value rises significantly as well. He's a 20-point scorer a game. He took his percentages way up, and he's always been a really good free-throw shooter. And he's also, for those of you who care about turnovers, his turnovers have always been you know, fairly um, under control for point guards. When Last season, he, he topped out at 2.1, but he was only at 1.6 the year before that. Well, and it so helped. He does have. I was just going to say yeah, the the turnover numbers are lower, uh, especially last season, because he has that second distributor in Nick Batum. So you'll you'll look at these passing numbers compared to uh, other pass first point guards or really other um, definitive point guards on a team that don't that do not have uh, that second distributor, and and you start to see the effect because his his passing numbers are definitely lower in comparisons to Chris Paul and and other point guards. So I think that's where. You know, if he passed a little bit more, then you probably see those turnovers uh, tick up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. But he, look, he's still that sort of end of a second round, third round type of point guard. I don't think we see him regress back to being a 38 or 39% field goal shooter. You know, 42, you can deal with it. It's not ideal, obviously, in a fantasy situation, but you can deal with that. And Batumi is a key part to that. He's a guy that takes a lot of pressure off him. And if he continues to hit his shots, there's you know, there's a chance that Walker even rises a couple of percentage points in that, uh, in that category. Now, Doug, we're going to have a quick, Quick break for a word from uh, SeatGeek, who are you know, sponsors of today's show. SeatGeek, buying tickets online for sports and concerts, it's always been a confusing process. It's hard to find the best deal for the game or show you want to go to, but none of those older ticket sites want to change that. SeatGeek's different. They've come along, they've created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. It's the first place that I go. It's the first place that you should go to look for tickets for any game or concert that you're interested in attending. It does everything 
to make it easier for you to actually get to the events that you want to go and see. It does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring you get the best possible deal. And SeatGeek does all the work, saves you time and money. They also want to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate on tickets, you download the SeatGeek app, you go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code LOFANTASY. SeatGeek then sends you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It couldn't get any easier than that. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LOFANTASY today. All right, Doug, let's get to the third question that we've got for the Hornets here, and that is, will Marvin Williams be able to duplicate or exceed his career best numbers from last season? So the Hornets took a big step up with Walker having a career, and then Marvin Williams at the age of 29 having himself a career year. Can he do it again, or do you think that was a a bit of a lightning in a bottle type situation? Well, okay, so I was very optimistic on your first question, MKG fitting very well with the Hornets. I was, yep. uh, I'm was, i optimistic that Kimball Walker can at least continue the improvements that he made last season into this next season. But with this third uh, with this third question, I'm a little less optimistic because you, you have Marvin Williams who, let me just say before I get into this, that Marvin Williams uh, played his heart out last season, uh, did a whole new workout regimen in the offseason, put in a ton of work uh, to have the season that he did. And he was, we always talked about him as the, the quiet MVP of this Hornets team, not just because he was able to provide rim protection for a team that didn't have it, that didn't have a go to rim protector after getting rid of Bismack Biombo, not just that he was hitting threes at a career high rate or rebounding at a career high rate for that matter, but also just as a locker room guy, he's one of the most, the steadiest presences in the locker room, and, and he's a guy that uh, is, really brings this team together. And I, and I can see why the Hornets would want to bring a guy like that back. But saying all that, Josh, he is entering the, the twilight of a, of a player's career. He's, he's been on the court for a long time. And, and not only that, not just the years, Josh, but the minutes. He's played a ton of minutes, especially the last few years for the Charlotte Hornets. And, and I just don't know if he can continue – uh, what he was able to give, and you saw it in the playoffs. He wasn't able to uh, find that gear or, or find that ability to knock down shots that he that he had earlier in the season. And and I just don't know if that's going to continue for a second straight season. If it does, then then the Hornets, I think, could contend for a second or third seed if everything were to go right and Marvin Williams were to continue his output. But I think it's asking a lot for a guy who's been in the league for as long as he has. He he had some incredible improvements in his game. He took his block block numbers up from half a block to one block a game. So doubling your block output is huge at this point in your career. He started hitting more threes. He went from 1.2 to 1.9, from 36% to 40% from three. He went from 43 to 45 from the field. But he took his free throw percentage up by 12%, up from 71 to 83. And all those sort of massive rises in what he was able to do were, were huge and they were a massive surprise for fantasy but as you mentioned he's he's older he's um he's got Frank Kaminsky sort of breathing down his neck as well they can play Kid Gilchrist at the four uh, as well I don't see Williams getting any better than what he did last season 
I don't. He played just a tick under 29 minutes a game. I don't see him going well over that. I think he stays in that sort of range. And there's real scope for him to even drop down maybe a minute or two next season as well as they because they've already said that they want to bring Kaminsky and get him a few more minutes this season. So there's definitely opportunities for him to slide um, in a fantasy situation. He's a much better guy when you're looking at turnovers because he doesn't get any of those whatsoever. So that inflates his value in in a lot of places. He's not someone that I'd be really interested in in any mid round situation. He's a very late round guy with that potential decline that's uh, that's coming, and I think you uh, you answered that uh, pretty uh, pretty much exactly how I would have. The 2016 NBA draft duck was pretty uh, barren for the Hornets because they had a pick and then they traded it. Yeah, bar- barren do- as you can what- get. That's zero. <laughs> you know what? Out of all the teams that I've done so far, I think I did the Knicks as one of them, and they had no picks. And then I think the next couple I've got coming up had no picks as well. So a lot of these. And then we're going to get smashed, obviously, when we do Boston and we go through all eight of their draft picks. But when we get to uh, this one, there's no picks. But this gives me an opportunity to talk about the Marco Bellinelli trade, where who the Hornets received in exchange for their number 22 pick. What did you make of the trade uh, when it went down? And has your opinion on the trade changed now? It wasn't unexpected if, if you follow the Hornets closely because Marco Bellinelli is a player along with uh, Mirzo Toledovic, that they have been eyeballing for uh, a few seasons now. And it just, for whatever reason, didn't work out uh, when they went after him in free agency. And I, I think they attempted to make a trade, or it was at least rumored that they attempted to make a trade for him. And and it just didn't work out. But now they, they finally got their guy in Marco Bellinelli. And obviously, the, the Hornets uh, front office and, and coaching staff believe that the year that he had in Sacramento was um, uh, not indicative of his talent level and what he can bring to a basketball team. And certainly, I mean, if you look at the situation that he was in in Sacramento, I I I think that's a fair gamble because Sacramento as a team was a mess. I think that they miscast... Uh, Marco as as a volume shooter and, and put and put his I think his role was too big within that offense and and Sacramento didn't have anyone to put around him defensively the effort defensively wasn't there for Sacramento and we've seen Marco be able to play uh, average defense within a good scheme within Greg Popovich's scheme in San Antonio you know, can he recreate that average defense uh, with uh, Steve Clifford and Steve Clifford's scheme? And Steve Clifford has certainly gotten players that weren't known for their defense to play defense before. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I think it was not unexpected. And I think that if you know this team for the past few years, they have made their living uh, making bets on players who've had down years, getting them on the cheap. Getting them in short, you know, contract situations. Last season it paid off. We'll see if it pays off this season. Now he probably comes in to me and fills half of the Jeremy Lin role from last season and half of a Courtney Lee sort of role. So yeah, he's not going to be able to replace everything that Lin did. He's not going to be able to replace everything that Lee did. But he comes in as that that backup to uh, as a shooter. And his ball handling's not the same as Lynn's, obviously. His defense is not the same as Lee's, but he sort of fits in as a hybrid between those sort of two guys. Is that how you see it? I think so. But, I mean, you have to look at the situation that the Hornets have at small forward right now, and there's not much depth behind Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. <laughs> so, I mean, I could, again, if the defense improves, and I think it can under Steve Clifford, 
then I think you could definitely see him play some three. I was looking at some statistics um, from uh, Nick Sharia on Twitter, and he put out some DRE numbers from Nylon Calculus about guys who uh, played shooting guard and small forward or played power forward and center. And a lot of these guys played better plus minus wise when they moved up a position. And Marco Bellinelli was one of these guys that when he moved up to the small forward position, uh, he played slightly better. So I think you could see him playing some three as well. Yeah, look, their, their depth is horrendous at the three, but yeah, Batum will move there and play some three as well as well. But apart from Batum and Kid Gilchrist, unless you're counting Jeremy Lamb in the rotation, which Clifford wasn't by the end of the season, uh, it's hard to see what else they're doing there. But so Bellinelli is going to have to play at that position, definitely. Free agency, Doug. Um, not the not the a blockbuster class. I mentioned they lost Lee. I mentioned they lost Lynn. They lost L Jefferson as well. And I'm sure that you'll be uh, absolutely shattered that Jorge Gutierrez and Tyler Hansborough are no longer on the team. But let's, uh, let's talk about the guys who actually came in. Ramon Sessions, he comes in as the backup point guard. So I mentioned that Bellinelli will be taking some of Lynn's role. Sessions takes the rest of that role. What do you make uh, of the contract that he signed and how does he fit with this team? And, and can he be useful? Well, I think the, the, the contracts are fantastic I, because the Hornets, in order to keep Batum and in order to keep Marvin Williams, they had to do some cap gymnastics to bring in uh, and to make some gambles. And, and I say gambles because they brought in guys like uh, Roy Hibbert and Marco Bellinelli, who, as I said previously, are coming off of down years and you're trying to buy low and, and, and let them leave high. But, I mean, that's what happened with Jeremy Lin. They're doing this again. So if those hit, great. But back to Ramon Sessions, he's a guy that knows the scheme. I mean, he's played here before, so he's comfortable playing here. He enjoyed playing here. He's from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is a few hours away from Charlotte. So, you know, he's familiar with the area. And, I mean, when you look at the statistics between Ramon Sessions, I mean, look, if you say the name Ramon Sessions and you say the name Jeremy Lin, you're not going to immediately equate those two names, and I think that's fair. But if you look at the usage percentage, similar. If you look at the free throw rate, their ability to get to the line, which is something that both Jeremy Lin and Ramon Sessions hang their hat on, it's 40% for Jeremy Lin and 47.8% free throw rate for Ramon Sessions. So he was able to get to the line just as often, if not more, than Jeremy Lin. True shooting percentage was was similar. Ramon uh, has he's a streaky three point shooter, but I think the same could be said for Jeremy Lin as well. And and they were both able to finish at the rim at at, at equal rates. So I think that if Ramon can continue what he was able to put together in Washington late last season when he was subbing in for uh, John Wall, who they they eventually shelved when they couldn't make the playoffs anymore, if he can continue that in Charlotte. I think people are going to be a little surprised at, at the amount that Ramon can fill in for what Jeremy Lin was was able to give them. Now, there's two areas that he won't be able to do that, and they'll have to find this in, in other rotation spots, and that's uh, Jeremy Lin's ability to create with the pass, and then I think Jeremy Lin was a, is a better defender than Ramon Sessions. He was able to block shots out of nowhere and, and keep certain guys in front of him that I don't think Ramon Sessions will be able to from, from a size perspective and a skill perspective. But I think offensively, Ramon could be a, fill, a good fill-in for Jeremy Lin. 
Sessions blocked a total of five shots last season, so he's definitely not, not a threat. Good. In, in that area. <laughs> he, he's good. Uh, his steals aren't great either. A point guards, yeah. you you would hope that on a per 36 basis, they can get you one and a half at least, maybe two steals. Like He barely tops out at one steal per 36 minutes. Um, his three-point shooting is, as I said, streaky, but he was 32% last year, 31 the year before that, 30, 28 the year before that, 31 the year before that. Then he had a 44% season thrown in there. Also, he doesn't take many shots, but he, he does get to the line a lot. He scored at a really efficient rate, 47% from the field. He is tremendously high for a point guard. It's also up 10% on what he did the year before. So which one is real? It's it's hard to, hard to judge. But if he's given the opportunity, with if Walker has to miss some time, you know, Sessions, Sessions will be a guy that can come in and, and score you points in an efficient manner. He can get you some assists as well. Just don't expect some of those other traditional point guard fantasy categories like threes and steals. But he'll get a you know, high field goal percentage, Solid amount of attempts at the line, good assist numbers, and, and pretty decent scoring. But he, he fits into that role nicely. He's you know, a, a bit of an, an older player. I think he's 30 years of age uh, at this point. I was double check that. Yep, he's 30 at the moment. So he's you know, a pretty solid head to have behind uh, behind Walker in this spot. The other guys they acquired, the only one who's really going to make a huge amount of noise is Hibbert. What do you make of Hibbert? Um, I know that you you have, did a podcast um, speaking to someone from the Pacers or someone that covered the paces a few weeks back now talking about Hibbert. He moves into a backup role. I think that's sort of where he's suited in a 20-minute-ish role. He doesn't have the um, athletic ability at this point in his career to be playing bigger minutes. He's an offensive, a massive offensive negative. But in terms of rim protection, has he automatically become the best rim protector on this team? Well, I think that title still has to go to Marvin Williams. Uh, and again, I think, I mean, until until Roy Hibbert uh, can prove otherwise, because he, he didn't do a, a great job at rim protection uh, last season for the Los Angeles Lakers, despite being that, that big presence inside for them and starting every game. So I, I think Roy Hibbert comes into Charlotte with a lot to prove. That's why the Hornets organizations make these kind of gambles. They like to get value from guys who need to revamp their careers, that need to have contract-type seasons, and that's what they're hoping to get out of Roy Hibbert. I'll, I'll be interested, not not really rim protection. I'm not too worried about that because I think, again, I've said this several times, that they the Hornets rim protects in a team fashion. They don't they don't necessarily depend on one player to uh, step out of nowhere and and block a shot into the stands. Uh, They do a great job of keeping uh, slashers away from the rim and and making you take tough shots. What I'll be interested in is how he helps the second unit rebound, and not from the perspective of him actually going and snagging a defensive rebound, but is he able uh, to take up enough space inside, get physical with with players underneath, and allow guys like Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Nick Batum and others that he could see time with on the second unit uh, uh, dive in there and get a, a, a rebound, an offensive rebound, and, and create uh, extra points for the Hornets, which is something he did a great job of in Indiana, just taking up space. Now, now I know we're on a fantasy podcast here, and that doesn't show up on the fantasy. <laughs> that may that may get him some playing time to do some other things, but it won't show up, you know, in a in a fantasy league. But it could be something that helps this Hornets team go. 
But what it does do is it helps the players that play with him. So it helps players like Kid Gilchrist get maybe a bump in his rebounding. It helps a guy like Marvin Williams' rebounding. It helps a guy like Nick Batum's rebounding. Yeah, Kemba Walker, all those guys might see a marginal uptick in what they're able to do rebounding-wise. Because we saw in Indiana, you mentioned, yeah, Paul George was a huge rebounder there. Lance Stevenson was grabbing a stack of rebounds when he was playing with Hibbert. Anyone who seemed to play with him it grabs more boards because of – of his role as a space eater and blocking guys out and just really you know, creating that space for the little guys to fly in and grab those boards. And I think it's going to be a key thing for Kid Gilchrist, who's already an above average rebounder, but he will have that opportunity to, you know, he'll he'll pull in more than more than his fair share of double-doubles next season just because of the space that, that Hibbert allows him to create. Now, I don't think that Hibbert's going to be able to play any sort of huge role, and I don't think he's going to be impacting many fantasy leagues, but it could, in the minutes that he plays with some of these guys, it can impact what they can do. I think the free agency period for the Charlotte Hornets is probably, I don't know, I don't want to call it controversial, David, because it didn't, it didn't make many waves. It wasn't Kevin Durant to the Golden State Warriors, right? But I, polarizing—that's <laughs> the correct word. It was—it's polarizing because I think you have people who look at that free agency period and think, okay, they did the best job that they could, replacing what they had to replace to keep Nick Batum, and then you have others that say, my God, you got Marco Bellinelli off of the worst year of his career, you got Roy Hibbert off the worst year of his career. That's a stinker. I mean, I don't find many people in the middle going, well, well, I don't know. I mean, you got, you take the good, you take the bad, and there you have the Hornets offseason. No one's doing that. It's very polarizing. It seems like the further you get away from it, the worse the reaction is. I mean, it feels like most people think the Bellinelli thing was not good, giving up a first-round draft pick for that, and no one likes this Hibbert. <laughs> I mean, very few people like this Hibbert signing. Um, I think we're more hopeful for both given the track record of guys coming in off of down years and Joe being able to find those guys. But yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of in between. I don't think when you're previewing this team, I mean, we'll certainly get more into it, but I don't know, Doug, have you read anything that says fantastic off season? I mean, not that that's deserved, but I think, you know, more or less it tends to be, uh, well, we'll wait and see, or this is a disaster. I've no, I I've, I've read a few. Things that have yeah, said okay. that they they again so cap, cap gymnastics, you know that they did yeah. they they didn't have a lot of options and they went out and which is the accurate the accurate take I think I mean they did what they had to do. I'm I'm just so interested, David, in the the, the not vitriol that's a little strong of a word, but the the distaste that some writers have with the Marco Bellinelli move uh, yeah. that sent the first round pick because no one no one was screaming Malachi Richardson. <laughs> like, no one was saying, this guy is a must-have prospect. You can't deny Malachi Richardson. Right. And, and yet, I mean, he was, and that's the thing, like, when you look back at that draft, he really was the best available uh, prospect because a lot of the players, the Thon makers, the, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I was really high on, um, that those DeAndre Bembry, I think went, went before the Hornets election and you had a lot of guys that were projected at or below the Hornets pick that went a lot higher than, than the Hornets could have selected. And I just don't understand why people can't wrap their heads around 
a team that made the playoffs that won 48 games. They almost won 50 games wanting to continue that momentum. I, I just don't, I don't think people want to see people succeed. <laughs> uh, well, no, certainly. Yes. They don't want to see some people <laughs> succeed. It is weird. I mean, for me, if you're going to bash anyone for taking a chance on not drafting some of these guys coming out of college right now, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, there's no, you tell me there's sure things throughout the first round. That's just not the case. So, you know, for someone to take a chance on, on a proven guy, it happens now and again, even if Bellinelli doesn't, you know, strike your fancy. Maybe, it was the 22nd pick I know. in a week yeah, draft. Exactly. Right. Listen, listen to these, listen to these names, listen to these names. So yeah, DeAndre Bembry went one pick above the Hornets. Malik Beasley, who I was very high on, went 19 and the Hornets selected huh. 22nd or, or they, the Sacramento Kings selected 22nd. But yeah, DeAndre Bembry going one pick above. Karis Levert, who was, he could have gone in the second round. He was projected to go in the second round, went 20. Malik Beasley went 19. Denzel Valentine went 14. Torin Prince went 12. Thon Maker was was projected to be in the late first round, went tenth. Right. Know, there, there there were not a lot of high upside selections at twenty two. So you're either going to get someone who has low upside, who you know what they are, and what they are won't be what they are until probably two, three seasons from now, or you because you know that your cap situation is going to be tight you make a move to bring in someone who you feel like under the right circumstances can contribute in and has shown a past of contributing at the NBA level, you go and get that guy. I just don't understand. I don't understand why there would be such a um, a misunderstanding there. I can understand. Yeah, I Here's can... the thing, David. I can understand you not liking the move, but th- that's not what I'm reading. I'm reading people that just don't understand why why in the world you would give up a first-round pick for Marco Bellinelli? Right. That's the silly part to me. And I sure it sounds like we're defending the Hornets at all costs here, but I'm just not going to kill them on this one. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it on draft night, actually before draft night when we found out about it, and I still don't have a problem with it. Uh, on the off chance that Malachi Richardson turns out to be the next – sheesh. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, is he even going to play that much next year or the year after? So – it's that type of thing, Doug. You, you mentioned it, and you're exactly right. It's you know, it's a crapshoot, especially that late in the draft. And the Hornets aren't that great at drafting, so they're there. I mean, it's out there. Just, just uh, the vitriol is curious, but you know, it comes with the territory sometimes. I guess. I think no, they were they were not looking to gamble. They wanted to invest yeah. in a mutual fund. That's what Marco Bellinelli is. He is a he is a mutual fund, and the mutual fund may have a down year. But it's 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 a steady it's proven itself in the past, and that's what they wanted to do. They they did not want to to play craps. They wanted to play the stocks, and yeah, and I I, I think it was the right move. If you know <clears throat> because you you know the, as a team they have they're on the cusp. One forty eight games getting MKG back, they are on the cusp, and they want they're they, trying, to, stay there. They're trying yeah. to keep that momentum going. And Malachi Richardson does not, you know, bum bum, move the needle. So don't they? The last thing on that last thing on this because we 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 spent some unexpected time on this. Don't they already have Malachi Richardson on their bench in the form of Jeremy Lamb? Exactly, exactly. Oh, okay. I mean, Ma- no. Here's the thing: if Malachi Richardson gets drafted, 
by the Charlotte Hornets, he probably ends up getting moved anyway. It just it may not happen on draft night. It may have it may happen, you know, down the road when when Trader Cho needs a piece. Yeah, so lay off people. Yeah. David, we have part two of that interview coming up tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Also, we're going to uh, wrap up our initial run of this series that we've been doing called So You're Visiting Charlotte for a Hornets game where we discuss what to do after the game is over. And and that should be fun as well. We'll give you some tips on where to go uh, after the final horn sounds. Thanks for listening to Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. Also, got to mention, follow us on Snapchat at Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Instagram at Hive Talk Live because the scoreboard reveal is coming up at the end of this week on Friday around 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And so we're going to try to get as many pictures, as many videos up as we can as it happens and and make you aware of what that looks like, of what that new fantastic scoreboard is going to look like in the Spectrum Center. So make sure you're following us on all of our social channels. Channels. Channels! That's the correct word. <laughs> it's early. All right, we want to hear from you. Email us your Hornets thoughts, questions, your comments to buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nations at thehive.com. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Go Chantels. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up late?